the letter to Titus. You can see up here on the screen, we're going to talk about legacy living. And that's actually something that I'll come back to at the end. Uh, I told you to turn to the letter to Titus. I'm intentionally referring to it that way. Uh, Because unlike some other portions of scripture, whether that's the gospels that are books or even the letters that are written to churches, Paul has written this letter to an individual and a trusted individual at that. He has some words to tell him and obviously we are also the beneficiaries of that. And so he's sharing with Titus some important information that he wants to give to the people that are there in Crete. But in addition to that, It's not just information to those people, but it's information that is beneficial to us as well. And so we're going to be spending today primarily talking Titus 1, Titus 2 briefly, and Titus 3. This is one of those books that we've done it a disservice by adding the chapter and verses to it. And so I I will refer to the, the verses so that you can follow along. But keep in mind that as you send a letter to somebody, uh, when you send an email to somebody, I would doubt that you, every few sentences, add a new number to it. Or uh, we work in paragraphs, right? And so keep that in mind as we go through this, that this isn't Titus 1, Titus 2, Titus 3. This is the letter to Titus. And I, I mention that because I do feel like that's important because of the fact that there are a few, there's a big theme that goes with the book. But then there's also some sub-themes that flow throughout this letter. And so I want us to kind of follow a few of those sub-themes instead of dividing the book up by chapters and by verses. Uh, So with that in mind, let's go ahead and look at the beginning of this letter there, just starting in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledge of the truth, acknowledging, excuse me, of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Look down at verse number 10 now. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even as a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Uh, Down to verse number 16 now. They profess that they know God, but in the works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now go ahead and look over chapter 2. We're going to go all the way down to verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching them that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Uh, my wife and I are at the point in our lives, already at the point in our lives, even with small children, where uh, they are always a- they're already asking why for things. And uh, those of you that have had children, you understand how that goes. The truth of the matter is, though, we ascribe that to children, but we all do it. It's just that adults, especially when you're commanded to do something, right? Like, you need to go do this. We as adults may not ask that out loud. Why? But we still think, think it, right? Uh, It's just that we have the perspective now in our age and have been through things that we can oftentimes reason through that. 
Um, so why was I commanded to do this? Oh, okay, I can see why somebody would want me to do something like that. However, if I were to tell you to do something that, was, that went contrary to the way that we, whoever we is, whether it's at your work or here in the church or just out in society, if I were to tell you to do something that went counterintuitive to the way that people just acted, I'm not talking about like sinning right versus wrong. I'm just talking about the way that we go about doing things. You would probably ask why. And you may even verbally ask why. Uh, we've had a lot of whys even in the last year, right? Because people have told us to live a certain way, do certain things, don't do certain things. And for some people, they're still kind of debating with themselves about the whys. Well, let's get back to this. Something that I want you to think about is the fact that we're fortunate enough to have Scripture, all of Scripture. You think about these people that have received this word. They had the Old Testament available to them. I don't know to what degree the New Testament had been, parts of the New Testament, obviously, the stories, the uh, commands of God, the sermons that he had given, these things have been passed on, but they're living in a pre-Christian world. For us, we, we may be looking at things and saying, well, you know, they're living in a pre-Christian world, we're living in a post-Christian world, and I don't disagree with that, but my point is that if you look at, I mean, even, even talk about what was just mentioned here, they were surrounded by people who are described as being liars, evil, and gluttons. Does that sound very different from the world that we live in right now? With all of that in mind, Paul doesn't wait to give us the why. In fact, it's so important that he leads off with it. With that in mind, look at chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. One of the things that Paul does in clarifying this statement here about truth is dissent. He sends a clear warning to Titus and to the churches. The, these people are going to hear a lot of messages. As a matter of fact, he's addressing false teachers, right? We, we read that at the very beginning. But they're going to hear a lot of messages. And a lot of these messages, they're, not, they're going to wonder, like, is that really what it means to be a Christian? Is that really what I should be doing? Is that really how I should be behaving? It's a valid question that should be asked. It's something I think that we are encountering today. It's not that truth is changing, but here's something that I would, this is kind of on the side, but I would, I would warn you about this. But thanks to technology, or really uh, actually to our detriment, technology has given a mouthpiece to everybody. And unfortunately, a lot of people have a little bit of truth and they sprinkle in what they think is to be true or they think is right or their opinion with things. And the real unfortunate part is we just consume it. And yes, to the trained eye, you can, oh, that's not right. But you're just bombarded with these messages. These people were bombarded with messages, with people that were telling them things that were, they sound, some things were true, some were not. So this is my point. I would encourage you to check the messages, whether that's for these people, checking the messages of false teachers or people that sounded like they were giving right messages, or the people that you're following on Facebook. Even though you may have known them for 50 years and they may have gone to church with you and whatever, here's my encouragement to you. Check your messages, and if it promotes materialism and self-centeredness, that isn't truth. If it endorses sinful behavior to any degree, that's not truth. If it encourages greed and self-satisfaction, it isn't truth either. What Paul is saying here is that the gospel leads you towards godliness. The gospel leads you towards godliness. And by the way, it's very easy for us to want to be godly. Everybody's nodding their head. Yes, but the gospel leads us towards godliness. Do you want to be godly? Yes, everybody. Every, I want to be godly. Who doesn't want to be godly that's a follower of God? But it's not just following the list of commands that makes you godly. 
And again, we're all in agreement with that. But what's coming in Titus 2 is there's some commands in there of how we should live, things that we should do, the way that we should train other people. What, God, what, what Paul is saying here is that when we talk about the word godliness, okay, here's a key, key point. When we talk about the word godliness, it refers to both you living out the truth and it, there's also in it, though, a nuance of reverencing God. And so if I can restate it, we want to be godly because we want to revere God. We want to be godly because we want to build up the reputation of God. And most importantly, we want to be godly so that others look at us and are drawn to God, whether that's fellow Christians or that's the unsaved. So godliness is God-likeness, if I can put it another way there. So that godliness, we're hoping here, we're, we're, we're assuming here that godliness is God-likeness. And the more that we live out these commands, we are going to be godly. There's an important part of that that I'll come back to here. So. That's really, when we talk here at the beginning here, our goal. Our goal is God-likeness. So with that in mind, let's go on to this next point here, our motivation. Here's the unfortunate reality with all of this. And I'll speak for myself. Maybe some of you can relate to this. For as much as we want to have renewed lives, and for as much as we want to pursue godliness, the unfortunate reality is that all of us still carry the old man. And on top of that, we live in a sin-cursed world. So let me be kind of just transparent here. Some of the most difficult weeks for me are the weeks that lead up to me teaching Sunday school. It's kind of like external factors that are, that are outside of my control. External factors collide with my own self-centeredness. And the end result usually isn't good. And it's the week where I've got to be most holy. Because at the end is the test. I've got to get up and stand in front of people and say, we've got to be godly. As much as I know that to be the truth... I just don't feel like it sometimes. For some of you, again, you may relate to that. And you're like, yeah, a bad week. Try about a, a bad life. I, I want to, but I just don't feel like it. I want you to look at chapter 3. So what's our motivation then? What's our motivation here? So chapter 3, starting in verse number 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living after malice and evil and hatred and hating one another. But after that, the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness was we to have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he has shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now turn over, if you would, to chapter 2, verse 11 here, because this is the chapter that we will spend the rest of our four weeks here together. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. What serves as our motivation for this radical way of living? And I say radical from the standpoint that it not only looks different to the people that live around us, but it goes against our, our, our sinful nature. Again, as much as I want to do right, my sinful, selfish heart just doesn't feel like it sometimes. You've all been saved long enough. Like, you know this to be true. When you gaze at the cross, when you gaze at what God has done with you, done for you, when you meditate on what he saved you from, in mercy he saved you. It's nothing that we've deserved, nothing that we've earned, but in mercy he saved us. If you've kind of lost that motivation, and whether that's overall I've lost the motivation or I'm not motivated in this instance right now. 
<laughs> I'm not motivated to respond right when all three of my kids are going off at the same time. You may be discouraged. There may be something that's discouraging you. Something big, it may be a big dark cloud, it may be something very small, but maybe there, there's something that's discouraging you. My encouragement to you is meditate on what you've been rescued from. You all know that to be true. I know that to be true. But in the moments when I'm going through that discouragement or I'm going through that difficult time, that's usually not the time that I want to do that. But I would say to you right now in a time where maybe things are going well, hopefully, I don't care what you want. We don't care what you feel like doing. This is what you do. You just do it. You obey and you do it. Why? Because you know that once you get that gaze back on what you need it to be, then good things happen. And by the way, th think, about, th think about this impossible way of, of living that you're saying, I can't do this on my own. Verse number five says, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. If this is an encouragement for you, you are being transformed by one of the three Godheads. He lives inside of you. He's not just around you like he's there to help you out, like he's living inside of you. And so this isn't, again, this isn't like, I will muster, I will do what's right, I will do this in my own, I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. This is, I can rely on the Holy Ghost who is in me to obey and to do this, and he has promised to work this way in me. But don't only think, that, don't only think about what you've been rescued from, an important part that Paul makes, look at verse number seven, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to this eternal hope. I think this one gets overlooked sometimes, you know, we're excited about what's to come. I mean, eternal life, heaven, spending eternity with God. But like that's for people to think about who are near the end. We don't want to think about that because that's that's death. But that's not really what Paul's addressing here in this letter. As we'll see in the next few weeks, like he wants people to live differently, not just so that individuals mature in their faith can just live differently, but he also wants them to live with an eternity in mind for the sake of other people. In, in other words, there's a clock ticking, and there's a mission for us to do, and it's time for us to get going on it. So look down at verse number 8 there. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. What is your motivation for getting up in the morning? For your work, your agenda. Is it for your comfort? Is it for your ease? Is it for what you have to get done off of your checklist? This isn't a do more good work so you can be more godly. It's actually the other way around here. A godly person understands that apart from Christ's work, his merciful saving work, that you're just a sinner. And that person also understands that unless they daily submit to the spirits working in their lives for him for help, help relying on him for help, they won't do anything worthwhile that matters in God's economy. But in addition to that, a godly person also understands how God's working. Maybe they don't understand, and this is one that we always like to hear, like, I don't understand what God's doing in my life. You may not know the earthly reason for what that is, but I'm going to tell you what the, the reason is. The reason is to make you more like Christ. That may mean to increase your faith more. That may mean to trust others more. That may mean to look at others more. But he's looking to grow you in godliness. It goes back to our goal, goal number one, right? Reflection section, some things that I would encourage you to think about. I know reflection comes at the very end. We're not done yet. But the first one, really meditate this week. I would encourage you this week, reflect on your salvation and also reflect on Christ's return. I think that'll change the way some of us live our lives on a very practical level and also how we view some circumstances of things that are in my life. Again, don't always look for the answers 
for this life. Think about long-term, eternal. How is this going to change me? How is this maybe gonna change people that are around me? And here's another one, just kind of a phrase, something that I've been thinking about. But sound doctrine illuminates thinking and illuminated thinking inspires godly living. That's going to be key for us in the next few weeks because we're gonna talk about, we're gonna address certain individuals and this is not a, I will muster up doing right and helping others and being godly on my own. It's really only gonna come from a close knit relationship with Christ by reading God's word, the Holy Spirit illuminating your thinking and changing the way that you approach situations and circumstances so that you can live out godly lives. That's what's summarized in that statement there, okay? So that leads us, we've looked at the first, uh, our goal, God-likeness, and then second, our motivation, our salvation and Christ's return. <clears throat> now, quickly here at the end, our assignment. Uh, it's somewhat interesting to me that in a situation where Paul is confronting false teachers, that he doesn't just give Titus a book that's filled with, or a letter that's filled with just a bunch of doctrine. He actually tells Titus, I want you to preach to a group of people, a congregation, and I, I want you to, he does talk at the beginning, he, he says, I want, you to, I want you to assign qualified leaders, I want you to identify qualified leaders who can help spread that message, but it doesn't just end there. It's not just the work of the qualified leaders. So whether or not you view yourself as a qualified leader in our church, it's not just for the qualified leaders in this church. The point here is that he actually puts every single person, each one of you, he puts you on special assignment. Like you have a special assignment, and this is where what am I good for in this church? What am I good for in my community? What am I good for my personal sense of who I am and what I'm used for? You have a special assignment. Paul tells us this. And if you look at it, this, this has been communicated on, on, this has actually been communicated on several occasions here in our church. And this is really what being part of a local body of believers is about. And it's not optional. It's not optional. As a matter of fact, the way that, that Paul talks about it and the way he dresses it, he just assumes that you're a living part of a local body. He doesn't say, okay, well, now it's time for us. You need to make sure that you're in a church. You need to, it, he just says to these Christians, He's like, you're part of this group. Now this is how, you're, how you serve within that group. So let me start with that. All the things that have been preached and taught to us, that's important. But like, you got to be beyond that. It's not just, oh, well, I guess I do have a part here. I guess I, I no, you do. We got to get beyond that. There's things to do now. So now that we've established, you all, it doesn't matter. Youngest to the oldest, it doesn't matter. You all have an assignment here. And the assignment doesn't, it doesn't start with a certain age. And it doesn't end with a certain age. Like, well, my time is done. I'm just gonna live out the last five to 20 and you know, we'll just see how it goes type of thing. Like, no, you have an assignment. You have a special assignment. This is why it's important for you to be not just a part, but actively a part. And that's what the next several weeks are going to be. I'm gonna tell you by way of Paul and Titus what actively means. Right? And so we'll come back to that in just a few moments here. The special assignment, what it means. Now, you're going to see in chapter 2, and this is where it, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of not. Chapter 2, it's old men, old women, younger women, younger men, bond servants. Whether or not you want to identify yourselves in any of those groups, right? you are in one of those groups. 
or if it wants, you want to make yourself feel better about yourself, you will be someday in one of those groups. So this does apply to everybody. Now let me go back here at the very, just in the last couple of minutes that we have here. I titled this Legacy Living. And this is something that actually God has been working with me over the last couple of years. It's something that you think more about once you get to middle age. Those of you who have been to middle age and beyond, you understand this. But you get to middle age and you're kind of like, all right, I'm not going to die. You know, I mean, unless God wants me to, but I'm not going to die anytime soon. But like there are things to do. There's got to be more than just me like getting my dream job and me making a certain amount of money or starting a family or whatever. This word legacy comes up. And it doesn't really matter if it's politics, sports, it happens a lot of times. When people talk about legacy, typically what's referred to is, how am I going to be remembered? But if you look at the dictionary definition of what a legacy is, it's actually something that you pass down. It's an, it's an object. For us, when I say legacy living, I'm not talking about what you're going to be remembered for after you die. But really, more importantly, it's what am I passing down to the next group? And that, if you look in Titus 2 at the beginning, when he first addresses older men and then older women, and then he goes to younger women and then younger men, there are things that he's trying to pass down, not just so that those people will live godly lives or be good people. It goes beyond that. It's now here are the things that we're going to pass down to the next group and the next group and the next group. Why? so that you can be identified as a peculiar group of people. You're different, you're peculiar. Some people may raise their eyebrows at you and say, that person doesn't live like everybody else. In this world, that's how it's gonna be if you're gonna be a real follower of God. And it goes beyond just looking peculiar or being peculiar people. How does that end? A peculiar people who are zealous for good works. And again, those good works may be giving the gospel to other people, it may be passing down our faith to our children. This is the actively getting involved. So when we hear in the sermon like was just preached before, you need to be actively involved in your church. I know that there are some people that sit there and be like, I don't know what that means. I'm not a teacher. I can't teach Sunday school. I'm not a this. I'm not a that. I'm not a this. I can't play the organ. I, I can't preach. I can't go to this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I, can't. I don't really know what I can do. Well, I'm going to tell you what you can do. That's what's coming next. Because again, this isn't for a select group of individuals. This is for everybody in the church. And if you're confused about what I can do, and this is one thing that I've heard as well. I haven't got to this yet, but I've heard from other people. But especially next week, older men, older women, you know, you get to that age and as people move in from the young to the old, they're like, what can I do now? That's what Paul is going to address. So I really do think we all need to hear this. We're all going to be old at some point. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. We do thank you for the legacy that has been passed down to us. I ask that you would help us to be good tenants of that, and I ask that you would please help us to be doing our part actively to pass that legacy down on to others, Lord. Help us to remember our motivation, the cross, uh, the things that Christ has done for us, and then also the, your return, and help that to kind of motivate us and push us along to maybe have some hard conversations this week, or to be an encouragement to other people, or to sacrificially give or whatever that looks like this week lord i ask that you would please help that to motivate us not so that we can feel good about ourselves but lord so that we can become god-like and so that we can look god-like 
help us to remember the fact that you are love and help that to motivate us to love others, that you are merciful, that that should motivate us to be merciful. And that all the things that you describe yourself as in your word, I ask that you would help those things to be shown in us uh, to the world around us. I ask that you would please, Lord, help our lives to magnify you, to reverence you, and to glorify you this week. In your name we pray. Amen.